0: Welcome to BFR Radio, a podcast dedicated to all things BFR. This podcast is proudly sponsored by sportsrehab.com.au, where if you want to buy your own BFR cuffs, or you want more information about the type of training, or you just want more information, this is your one place to go. And I'm your host, Chris Gavillio. Hi everyone and welcome back to BFR Radio. Two goals for you out there. One, if you're enjoying the podcast, please give me a rating on iTunes. I'd really appreciate it. And secondly, if there's anything you'd like me to review or potentially anything you'd like to be shown, I do produce uh, some videos on my Instagram at Chris Cavilio and also on my YouTube channel, which is Sports Rehab Oz. That's Sports Rehab AUS. I really like enjoy putting the videos together to help illustrate how BFR can be used effectively. Now, onto today's article. It's called The Role of Inflammation and in Immune Cells in BFR Training Adaptation, A Review. The reason why I'm really keen on this article here is when we think about BFR, we know that BFR increases metabolic stress, which in turn is hypothesized to induce muscle growth by recruitment of fast-witch fibers, an improved endocrine response, increased intracellular swelling, and so forth. What this article actually goes into, it starts to talk about the release of these immune cells, which initiate tissue remodeling via several mechanisms. And when I think about people who get injured and we tend to start them on low-load exercise, could we potentially use BFR as soon as possible to help improve the immune response? Now, I've got to go through a little bit of background here to help build the paper together. And I'm actually jumping around in the paper to help make it sound a little bit better for the podcast. Now, with respect to immune cells, there's a few things that we need to know. So following exercise, neutrophils are the first immune cells to initiate the tissue remodeling process via several mechanisms, including an increased production of cytokinins and recruitment of monocytes and macrophages, which facilitate the phagocytosis of foreign particles. Now, when we think about neutrophil and macrophage response to resistance exercise, multiple immune cells types play a critical role in muscle repair, regeneration, and remodeling following exercise. Neutrophils, macrophages, and T-cells seem to be the first immune cells to initiate the recovery process following exercise-induced muscle damage. Neutrophils constitute 60% of the circulating leukocytes and are the most abundant cellular component of the human immune system. It has been suggested that neutrophil recruitment is an essential role in the initial stages of muscle repair and regeneration after exercise, as neutrophils act to clear the cellular debris by the release of proteolic enzymes for several hours after exercise. Neutrophils accumulation in skeletal muscle likely starts immediately after exercise. For example, one study showed a 60% increase in neutrophil invasion two hours after muscle injury. Previous studies have also demonstrated neutrophil accumulation in the blood vessels of skeletal muscle occurs after 1 and 24 hours after eccentric exercise. Animal studies have also demonstrated a clear influence on neutrophils on muscle regeneration after exercise, as depletion of neutrophils in mice before muscle injury impairs skeletal muscle regeneration likely as a result of a reduced capacity to remove tissue debris by phagocytes that slowed regenerative process. After the acute neutrophil accumulation, macrophages, which is a subpopulation of leukocytes, infiltrate the muscle and play an important role in the later stage of muscle repair and regeneration. The monocytes and macrophages are attracted in skeletal muscle tissue by different factors which contribute to skeletal muscle repair by phagocytosis of foreign particles. And this secretes pro-inflammatory cytokinins, which in respect to this article, one of them is actually called interleukin-6. And I'll go into a little bit more detail about the role of interleukin-6 shortly. And it also stimulates satellite cell proliferation. It's been demonstrated that macrophages play a critical role for muscle regeneration as inhibiting the recruitment of monocytes to injured muscles impair muscle regeneration. As with a lot of studies, what they actually do is they try to block different pathways or cofactors to actually see what the effect is. When you look at this, both macrophages and neutrophils appear to mediate muscle hypertrophy by the secretion of pro-inflammatory cytokines. Once again, interleukin-6 being one of these cytokinins, leading to anabolic signaling through a pathway that phosphorylates mTOR. Not stressing about what mTOR is or phosphorylation is, but rather, this pathway leads to increased protein synthesis, which then has the anabolic signaling effect to improve muscle strength and hypertrophy. One thing to note here, that both macrophages and neutrophils appear to mediate muscle hypertrophy by the secretion of pro-inflammatory cytokinins. And one of these, as I mentioned earlier, was called interleukin 6 And this leads to an anabolic signaling through different pathways, which is anabolic. In addition, neutrophils and macrophages can release growth factors such as insulin-like growth factor, IGF-1, basic fibroblast growth factor, transforming growth factor, and mechano growth factor. And all these factors contribute to the muscle regeneration and hypertrophic response by activating satellite cells and other signaling pathways such as mTOR let's not get bogged down here, but this neutrophils and macrophages play an important role to release these growth factors. And the onshoot of that, such as IGF-1 and different growth factors really help regenerate muscle and get the hypertrophy and strength back into the muscle fiber. And when we think about when we're injured, that's what we're trying to achieve. I spoke briefly about interleukin-6. Now, this is a myokinin, And this plays a role in skeletal muscle tissue regeneration after damaging exercise. And this in part by participating in the recruitment of neutrophils, monocytes, and lymphocytes. In addition, interleukin 6 also contributes to the activation, differentiation, and proliferation of satellite cells, which migrate and fuse to the spaces where muscle fiber damage occurred and contribute to myonuclei. It also can increase protein synthesis. So when we put this all together, it increases protein synthesis. It helps go towards where the muscle fiber damages has occurred to help create new cells. And it also helps recruit these really good things called neutrophils, monocytes and lymphocytes, which get in there and phagocytize debris material. So now let's get in and help remove the debris. With respect to neutrophil and macrophage response to blood flow restriction exercise, there's a lot of work done around traditional resistance exercise. However, the influence of BFR on the immune cell response is less discussed in literature. There's a table there which goes through five articles of note. What it did show though is that BFR training is actually able to improve these markers associated with pro-inflammation response. But the really good thing to note here, it's actually not related to the muscle damage because in some of the studies, there was no muscle damage reported, which is a really positive thing. The mechanism by which macrophages and neutrophils are recruited to skeletal muscle after BFR is not fully understood, but the authors actually say that it could partially be attributed to transcription factors such as HIF1-alpha that respond to decreases in available oxygen at the cellular level. Once again, it's a hypoxic environment that's actually able to increase these different markers which are associated with improvements in immune cell response. Another mechanism that they discuss in this article where BFR may increase the recruitment of neutrophils without inducing muscle damage may be attributed to catecholamine release, specifically norepinephrine. Noradrenaline. Previous studies have shown that noradrenaline may act as a like a danger signal during fatigue and exercise, thereby increasing neutrophil activation and function. There are a few studies out there that explain in part the increase in neutrophil counts induced by BFR as norepinephrine seems to play a significant role in neutrophil function and activation. The immune system appears to act in a straightforward manner to contribute to the plasticity of skeletal muscle tissue via the phagocytosis of foreign particles and increase in inflammation by releasing cytokinins that stimulate further infiltration of immune cells in an attempt to repair and regenerate damaged tissues. With respect to that, we need to get rid of the damage, and then we need to create a good environment for repair and regeneration, and that's what this seems to be happening. As with all good studies here, this is a hypothesis, and a certain degree of caution should be taken when interpreting this data, since signs of muscle damage may occur in the absence of either soreness, reduce force production, and or increase plasma creatine kinase. Nevertheless, infiltration of immune cells in the muscle is seen after BFR exercise, which poses the question of, mechanicalistically, who is directing immune cells to the muscle and what tasks they are performing, since there does not appear to be any measurable muscle damage. In regards to who is recruiting immune cells to the skeletal muscle, there's a multitude of mechanisms which may exist, from cytokinin secreted by the contracting muscles to activation of different transcription factors, both of which are reinforced by muscle hypoxia. The question of what tasks they are performing may be more related to the muscle remodeling since BFR is a potent method to induce muscle hypertrophy. And in fact, the studies which show a robust infiltration of immune cells to the muscles are the studies reporting robust muscle hypertrophy in short periods of time, such as within 19 days. So once again here, this is actually saying that there's lots of mechanisms at play. There's lots of measures that perhaps aren't even being looked at, but it's a hypothesis that seems to have some form of backing behind it and perhaps is something to consider. And this really just follows on to my conclusion. You know, we can get bogged down in the science behind it, but rather the coaches that are out there that are looking at how to incorporate different tools in their toolbox to help create a more positive healing environment for their athletes or their clients, I think are a total advantage. Let's not get worried about what the markers are and trying to remember You know, is it a neutrophil or a macrophage or is it interleukin-6? But rather, there's a healing process that's going on in the muscle. And that's what we're trying to promote in our rehab sessions. If you're able to remember it or it sits with you quite well and there's a lot of evidence behind it, I think it really helps the medical professionals out there. I think a lot of coaches from a practical standpoint will actually think about this and go, well, it's backed by science. There's going to be responders and non-responders and it may not be for everyone. The area of issue, you know, it may not be relevant to BFR use. However, I think with clever exercise selection and BFR pressure use, you know, you can incorporate it with no adverse reactions at all. And when you think about if you can add an extra tool to an athlete with the hypothesis that there is an improved healing process, going on on top of improved movement function through exercise, I think you are doing everything you can as a coach or an exercise physiologist or as a physio to your client or athlete. You know, in respect to the other mechanisms at play when we are rehabbing injury, we can bring in the other positive advantages of BFR such as decreased joint pain and tendon pain in conjunction with rehabbing an injury and improving that immune cell response, can we decrease the time lost to injury? Or rather, the return to full training may still be the same, but you know that when they're back at full training, they've actually been at a much stronger level for a greater period of time, potentially decreasing the chances of re injury For those people who love the science and, and all the different cofactors and pathways, go to the paper and, and read a little bit further. Anyway, I've rambled on a little bit too long there. I'm on my soapbox. I'm going to get off it now, and we're going to interview someone on how you do BFR. And on today's episode of How You Do BFR, I've got strength and conditioning coach from the University of Sydney, Nikolai Morris. Welcome aboard. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Nikolai is a strength and conditioning coach from University of Sydney, as I said. I've known her for a few years now. Now, also, she's uh, an elite master's age swimmer, although I can tell you she's not of a master's age, if we typically know of. (laughs) And in my mind, whenever I go to strength and conditioning conference, I love catching up with you, Nikolai. You're always got great questions, you're insightful, and perhaps one of the best Twitter persons I've ever met. Like so you're, always, <laughs> you're, you're always able to cut things up into really short, concise words. And I do know that sometimes when I can't go to a conference that we can always rely on you. And I know you do some other s- stuff with different groups in Sydney. So uh, before we get into how you use BFR, just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself.
1: Uh, So as Chris mentioned, um, I work at the university as senior strength and conditioning coach. Uh, With that, I work with six teams, swimming, athletics, water polo, rugby, 15s and sevens and soccer. Um, I also work with the New South Wales women's state of origin team. So that's what I'm currently doing with work. I also, as Chris mentioned, uh, swim in masters. I am actually of master's age, even though he disagrees. 30 technically is master's age for most sports, so <laughs> I do I do swim um, competitively with that.
0: <laughs> that was actually a compliment, Nikolai. you you look young. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> tell us a little bit about your swimming, like your favourite strikes, and I know you've had some um, recent competitions, so tell me where you're at with your swimming at the moment.
1: Yeah, so unfortunately this isn't a, a big year for swimming for me, due to work commitments, uh, I won't be able to go to the World Championships, so swimming's taking a little bit of a backseat, but... I swim for New South Wales in Masters. I've been competitively swimming in Masters since 2013 and lucky enough to have broken some state and national records along the way and been able to compete at a couple of world championships with that where either via relays or individually got to medal, which was pretty cool. And, yeah, I'm a backstroker, but I do butterfly and freestyle as well. Really just no breaststroke for me.
0: And you also have a few other... You're a part of the women's strength and conditioning group as well. Is that correct? Yes. Just tell everyone about that. It's quite a good group. I know you put a fair bit out there on Instagram.
1: Yep. Myself, Kelly Bean, and also Donna Miller. We made a group about a year ago, maybe a little longer, called Women in Sport. Uh, it was originally Women in Strength, and we're just trying to encourage more women in strength and conditioning, as well as the promotion of women in sport and giving people a bit more of an opportunity to see the amazing work that, that women do in sport in general.
0: Yeah, and that's a great effort because, you know, everything's a bit more prolific now in definitely the women's sporting space. You know, I definitely see the work that you're doing through, you know, your social media and also just conversations. And it's great to see that there's a group of females out there really pushing the profession 'Cause you, obviously your own experience is insight, which we as males just can't even get close to. So uh, <laughs> that, thank you for that.
1: No problems at all. I'm really lucky to have the other two who do a ton of work with
0: the group. And as the segment says, how you do BFR, I do know that you've been using BFR for a while now. I, I remember one of the conversations you had around some water polo group, a small little ad hoc study that you did, which was quite interesting. So I'm just gonna let it over to you. Just tell your story about how you started yep. with blood flow restriction and some of the cool applications that you've been using it with.
1: Yeah. So in 2016, not long after I started at Sydney, one of my colleagues, Dave Bauer, mentioned that he released this new, well, what I thought was a new training modality, which was blood flow restriction. And he mentioned it and I did a bit of research to work out what it was about and, and why you'd use it and, and looked into the different groups uh, of research out there on blood flow restriction, occlusion training, and, and katsu and the like. And something just twigged in my brain. I, I don't honestly remember what, but something about blood flow restriction and swimming just connected for me. It looked similar conditions, so that hypoxic nature we tend to swim under. So once we got the blood pressure cuffs, uh, one of your earlier models, Chris. I started uh, trialing it on myself and I've never felt anything similar to how you feel in your legs in swimming. Nothing, weights training, running, any movement that feels anything like it except for blood flow restriction.
0: What were you doing when you first started using it? What, What exercises did you use with it?
1: I think mostly I was using it on things like leg press. I know the literature... Likes the more single muscle groups, but in our high performance gym, we didn't have it. your more single muscle group machines. So I tried it on, to be honest, I've used that for a bit. And yeah, that was the main one I used it for and squats.
0: And then, so you started using it on yourself. You found some really interesting physiological responses to it. And then, what happened from that point?
1: We were at a stage just after the Olympic trials for swimming. Um, I was working with our elite swimmers at that stage. And I talked to the coach who, Scott Talbot, who was excellent and really, really great with research and up to date with scientific technologies and physiology and like. So we had a big chat about potentially trialing it on a group of our swimmers post-Olympic trials to do a study to see if there was any effect on swimming performance. Cause I had found I think it was two research articles that in a different way looked at swimming and either ischemic preconditioning or blood flow restriction but passively. So I wanted to see if using it in the gym would have any effect on their swimming performance. From there, we we're a little unlucky after the Olympic trials we had a lot of athletes retire. So it left me with one athlete to to perform this study on and he was about to go into surgery 2 months later for a shoulder issue. And so the study wasn't brilliant. I'm, I'm not the world's best researcher. So I looked at a time trial performance pre and post, and then three weeks of blood flow restriction training twice a week, one upper and one lower. And then we looked at his DEXA and his girths as well as his time trial performance.
0: Nice. And then what did you do with him and what did you find? And then also yeah. what did the athlete think of it? I think that's another important bit of information as well.
1: Yeah, so we trialed it before we went into the study to make sure he was comfortable with it. And he loved it. He loved the feeling. He was also really interested in blood flow restriction and how it would work. We then did the typical protocol. My knowledge in blood flow restriction has, I believe, improved a fair bit since 2016. So we did the old protocol of 30, 15, 15, 15 with 30 seconds rest in between. And you did the two exercises, you did a blood flow restriction squat to the box and a bench pull on day one and a blood flow restriction leg press and cable seated row on day two. These were all at your typical 30% of 1RM, um, nice and lightweight, probably picked exercises that I just thought would be a bit one, he was able to do because he wasn't able to do any pushing movements with his upper body. And two, just ones at the time I thought would be good for him. I probably would look into different things having done the study again. But we were really lucky in those three weeks. He improved one point, I think it was six, three seconds in the 100 metre time trial. Um, now, this was an elite swimmer. He was top five in multiple events in Australia, and which is weighted to about 2.6% improvement, which is around two years of elite training over 100 meters. So that was outstanding to see. Um, and he also he gained 1.9 kilograms of lean muscle, and all his girths improved. Even though they were minimal, uh, definitely not statistically significant, but all really cool effects in a very very short time frame of three weeks.
0: And in conjunction with the BFR work, did you do any other strength training, or was that the only strength stimulus?
1: mostly just his accessory lifts he would do and he would do his blood flow restriction and look irrespective of whether the
0: statistically significant you know in the real world who cares he swam faster yes uh, exactly and that's all that matters you know even you know we, we talk about 0.3 percent i think is statistically significant for an improvement of performance two percent is that's huge anyone would take that and so as a result has he continued to use this as a training stimulus or has he gone back to more traditional strength training
1: so we had an unfortunate situation at Sydney Uni where we lost our elite swimming program. After that, our coach moved to Melbourne for an amazing job and the swimmer moved with him and trained under a new coach and has actually retired from elite swimming since then. So not, not the most ideal situation, but we're lucky we've just restarted our new, we've got a new elite team. And we're looking to have another go in a bigger group at retrialing to see if blood flow restriction has an effect, any effect on swimming performance post-national trials this year. And I know
0: you obviously train a lot of other athletes. Uh, Any other applications that you've been using BFR with?
1: Yep. As typically done, I love using it with my rehab athletes. I've used it from people who have had back surgery to stress fractures. We use it a lot in athletics when someone has done a lower limb injury to keep muscle mass and also keep them training, even if it's a lighter weight. And I've used it as well on myself a lot. I I did my own little study on myself and I had two competitions four weeks apart And I did blood flow restriction twice a week and managed to improve. I think it was within half a second, but it went from just missing the national record to getting it. So, me again, swimming is that one I really love it with, but all injuries, I've used it again when I've been injured or my athletes have been injured with things like tendinopathies and found a really great effect as well.
0: And one thing you alluded to earlier was to use them (laughs) on big compound movements like squats leg press which are great what are other typical exercises that you might use in that and do you use any different type of tempos or or rep and set schemes
1: after reading newer research and listening to yourself and and other people on the podcast and seeing how it's been done differently i've trialed things like isometric holds i've trialed different sets of rep schemes and multitude of different exercises. I think the research is still not enough to be able to go, oh, X is going to equal Y or or a specific black and white statement. It's going to work differently on different people and it depends on what you're trying to get out of it. And I think the more we trial it and see what works, the more likely we're going to get more and more information to get a clearer idea of uh, the best benefits.
0: Yeah, that's right. And what I try and tell people, and you know, sound like I keep saying, is that you know, this is a classic example of responders versus non-responders. Some people really yeah. gravitate and get some great response. And you know, no matter what you read in research, every time you see something that supports a concept, it could be anything, you'll then read another paper which refutes it. So I always look at it and say, well, what's the general concept? and just go and apply it and i I definitely think what you're doing you're on the right track you go out there and you just you're exploring you're you're listening to stuff Uh, people doing like really high repetitions isometrics which i think you know work quite well with bfr and i think the idea of this podcast is actually to say well look, research is great but what are the coaches doing at the coalface i think that has far greater value than reading a research paper which most of the time you know, we'll be using recreational or just subjects that have very limited training experience. And it's the coaches like yourself that are using it with elite athletes that are getting responses Going, hey, there's something here. And typically research can't get their hands on the athletes that, you know, you and I are working with. So I say research is great, but what you're doing has far greater value in, in my mind at the moment.
1: Yeah absolutely and I mean I've talked to you many many times on this and different ways to have a go at different things so um, one we've talked about before is doing it prior to competition for one of my track and field athletes and we're planning on doing that as well and trialing different ways before comps and after but yeah, research sometimes is either, like you said, either can't get the athletes or is behind what we need it for right now. So how else are we going to find out if we don't try it?
0: Yeah, definitely. What does it say? Right. I want to get another go-to exercises that you like to do uh, BFR with. So what would they be aside from your leg press and squat?
1: Personally, I quite like it, the seated row. I don't mind it doing it that and been doing it a lot with my athletes for leg extension. We we have to do it banded because we don't have a machine, but we've been using it in those ways a fair bit for my rehab athletes who can't necessarily do much else when they're they're injured.
0: The injuries there, is it typically like a, a patella tendonitis or is it lower limb injury that they can't load through their um, ankle?
1: Yeah, so one recently we had one of my distance runners managed to nearly go through the bone with a stress fracture. Uh, So she was doing it. And then another distance runner had a 12 mil longitudinal tear in her hamstring tendons. So we used it for both of them.
0: Wow. I'm not sure whether you've heard the podcast, but there's definitely one on improved bone reformation markers with the use of BFR. And that's actually fascinated with me with long distance runners and even more so triathletes to use that. when they exercise because they don't lift a lot of load usually but also could you incorporate it as a passive modality you could use it firstly as ischemic preconditioning prior to they go and do their running set but also then is there it's kind of like like private health insurance it sits there you never know if you're going to need it you never know if it's worthwhile but it's just good to have
1: yeah, I definitely listened to the podcast about bone reformation. That was super interesting. And yeah, hopefully it's helped with uh, that athlete with a bit more bone. She's back running now. So that's really positive.
0: Yeah, and I think sometimes, you know, we kind of go, oh, does it accelerate the healing? Who knows? But, you know, as you know, like you can actually get some training done, decreases pain and they just like it. And they feel like it's something done. And I think as a coach, we're therefore doing our job. And whether it's BFR or whether it's using compex or just playing isometrics, for me, it's a tool in the toolbox and it's just very valuable to have.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, while I was performing my original study, we talked about, I had a couple of rugby players who were injured and I was telling them about the study and they were really interested. And I, I told them that we'd managed to improve the girths on the biceps of this swimmer. And yeah, they were just super excited and they wanted to have a go themselves and we measured their bicep flexed and unflexed and did a couple of weeks of curls on top of their rehab just to keep them stimulated and they were super happy with that. That buy-in and that toolbox tool is is really important, especially when the athlete's in that rehab state, which is not always the kindest time for them.
0: And so something for the bros, if you want to get bigger biceps, you should be a by the sounds of it as well there. <laughs>
1: yeah we i mean improved between a couple of millimeters to full centimeter i think maybe a centimeter to a centimeter a half on a couple of those and in only a few weeks so yeah bros, go do your your cows.
0: yeah good growth there (laughs) that's um some wonderful examples there and you're really starting to see the diversity of your use amongst different athletes in, in different scenarios so thank you very much for that no problems I know you are prolific on Instagram I've said many times in Twitter, tell the listeners out there how they can start following you. Cause I really do urge if you, you want to know what's going on <laughs> out there. She's definitely got some good resources going there.
1: My Twitter and my Instagram handle are the same. So it's Nikolai N I C O L A I underscore Morris spelled M O the normal spelling. And I'm also with my work Instagram. It's, S-U-S-F, strength and conditioning, so that we show a lot of our elite athletes and how they do different trainings, including blood flow restriction. And then women in sport, our women in sport group, so women in sport underscore Sydney. So you'll get to see a lot of different athletes and, and a lot of women in sport, as well as promoting just general sport in Australia off that one.
0: And look, from my end, keep up your good work. I love catching up with you and really in- enjoy your work just as an s coach. So keep up the good work. Thanks for your time. And I look forward to catching up with you soon in our travels.
1: No, thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciate you on and, and all the work you do in blood flow restriction. Love the podcast. Keep it going.
0: Oh, thank you very much. And that's all today for this episode of BFR Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to take part in the podcast, please contact me through my website or on social media channels at Chris Cavilio. For more information and to order a set of your own BFR cuffs, please visit my website at sportsrehab.com.au. Thanks for listening and keep the pump.